0: Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Ballas Audio Podcast Network.
1: Hello out there, all you wonderful people looking for history facts! You've definitely come to the right place. This is Whining About History, a women's history podcast where two longtime best friends. Get a little drunk, a little crazy, and a little sassy, and talk about women from history that you haven't heard of, but probably should have. I'm Kelly.
0: Wait, this isn't our Emily Eats Dairy and Then Almost Dies podcast and it all? can be. I mean, I could get some dairy, and there then- There is a
1: lot of dairy in this house. You know
0: what? It's going to go really wrong. It's going to go really fast. Uh, and I'm Emily, and that is the kind of energy that I bring to this show. It is not always welcome. It is never helpful.
1: It's but, occasionally helpful. But
0: I'm here. <laughs> oh my I goodness!
1: And I know I'm not the only one.
0: Aw, well, I love you too. Now yeah. I love me some days. So Kelly, first
1: mm-hmm. of all,
0: I just saw the name of this wine, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. So tell us, what are we drinking? Yes, please. Um,
1: So this wine is called Humdrum, which is kind of accurate for how I'm feeling today. Okay, is
0: it humdrum or is it like humdrum, 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 humdrum? Because it's written many times in wavy text. So I feel like (laughs) it's implying not, not only the word, but like how many times you say it and in what affect you say it. I mean, you know what humdrum means, right? Yeah, it's like boring. Yeah, but Lack, this is lacking
1: excitement or variety. But this is, is a very
0: exciting wine label. Um, it looks like it looks like the acid trip that all of those yes. '80s "Just Say No" dare ads warned you about. Where it's like, I'm so high off of pot, I'm gonna shoot my friend. Like, no, You're like, what? That's not how this works.
1: <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a Cabernet Franc, not Sauvignon, like you
0: prefer. Uh,
1: it's a 2018. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like a good Frank, ballpark <laughs> Frank, people named Frank.
1: You know, I don't think I actually, know, like, immediately know anyone actually named Frank.
0: My grandpa's name was Frank. Okay. And he so was... See,
1: like, I'm still
0: once removed from that. Yes. You're like two degrees from Frank. Mm-hmm. Welcome to our spinoff podcast called Two Degrees from Frank, where Emily eats dangerous amounts of dairy and we talk about Franks. All the different kinds, the kinds you put in your mouth, the kinds you shake hands with, sometimes the kinds you do both to. <laughs> Sorry, what is this mine? <laughs> um, so it's a red. Uh, it says
1: hugely underrated, markedly different, remarkably unique. Masterpiece. Hashtag escape the humdrum.
0: Escape the humdrum. I was kind of hoping that they'd be a little more tongue-in-cheek with the label, like... Oh, you know, this is just your average cabernet. Right, Frank, like really lean into you know, that the title. has explosive bursts of flavor and notes of shoe leather and blackberry jam. But you know, not in a cool like not in a big deal way. Just right. like, yeah, I'm here exploding in your mouth. Don't worry about Don't it. Don't worry
1: about it. Don't worry
0: about it. I'm just rocking your world and changing your wine taste for fucking ever. I am the acid of wine. Welcome. It's humdrum. (laughs) All right. So, Kelly, what are we choosing to?
1: The end of the week.
0: TGIF, motherfuckers. This, it wasn't even a bad week. I'm just, I feel like I've been tired for like 10 days.
1: Some parts of my week were bad. And I haven't stopped being tired. Like,
0: I'm, as much as I love hanging out with Kelly and recording, I am so excited for to crawl into bed with right, my animals exactly. tonight. So cheers. Cheers. T G I F. Or TJ Whatever Day you're listening to this F T P. Thank God it's fucking the patriarchy. Yes. Or thank God I'm fucking the patriarchy. Better. Yes. With this bottle of humdrum. Okay. I feel like we need to talk about this cuz sometimes we do this. We cheers, we drink the wine and we immediately move on without talking about it, which I, I like it. it.
1: I actually it's like it a little spicy, not like wine spicy, not you know, other things
0: spicy. See, I was actually going to say it's it has a, it's kind of mellow, but it's bold. Like
1: the aftertaste is
0: It's kind of like it it coats your mouth. It's like a thick blanket of wine. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's very full. It's rich without yeah, having that spice. Yeah. Like it's like it has some cabernets, it's you you sip it and it's like, oh god, I just bit into potpourri. This
1: has it's not heat, but yeah, it has like mm-hmm. the nice a nice feel that like afterward it just kinda like sits in the back of your like your yeah. the back of your mouth. It's and it kinda really nice. It kinda
0: changes yeah. in your mouth. Way to go, Frank. Good job. Never trust a Josh but Franks you can trust okay. you can trust a frank yeah. except for Josh wine i actually did have that and it was super good i was like oh my god i found the only josh i can trust can be the only tried also, one type okay. maybe that some of the said, other types
1: are shitty and then you're going to be like see i can't trust it
0: okay i also i need to make an amendment because we now have a josh who has listened to the podcast and if he is listening tattoo artists that i worked with you're cool he said we were funny yeah, and s- i'm like are you okay? That's true. <laughs> that is the one Josh yeah.
1: you can trust. Yeah, I trusted him.
0: Yeah, no, he did a it great job. Very on your well. Yeah, he did a great job on your tattoos. Sorry, Josh. Um <laughs> but only that, Josh. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's an exclusive club of Josh's that exactly. we can trust, which includes a tattoo artist and a bottle of wine.
1: Yeah <laughs> great. great, yeah. great party.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I'm I'm down for it. Totally down for it. But yeah, yeah, I, I mauled for him recently. He was very nice, and I hope his, his tattoo works out. I yeah, may get to it's see it when name. it's done, and I'm like, God, I hope cool. it doesn't look like... I don't think... He's, I, he's a good I artist. Think, I think it's gonna... I'm just, I like, think he just needed kind of the, the reference and yeah. the
1: reference because, you know, things fall certain ways when you're laying certain ways, so... Yeah,
0: but I will say... It definitely has not gone to my head that I posed for references for a tattoo That's gonna, that yeah, is going to go on someone's body forever. Yeah. It's definitely not gone to my head. I'm not saying I'm God now. Um, but, like, I'm a half a step below that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, along with, like, half the celebrities in the world.
0: This is true. This is true. They are also tattooed on everyone. Also, I'm joining the elite ranks of famous tattoo imagery like – spongebob and pikachu and memes yeah yeah. no i'm very excited and mustaches on index fingers has that
1: young if anyone younger listens to the podcast has that faded please tell me that's
0: faded i don't think mustaches are as big of a deal as they used to be because remember you used to be able to get the glasses that had the mustache hanging off of it i i actually have
1: Like the ones with the fancy chains. Yes,
0: I had slash have. It might be floating around in my house of a flask because I want a really basic metal flask. Yeah, I remember. Um, and I didn't think to just like go to the liquor store. So I got it at Spencer's and it's, it's a basic male flask, but that has a black mustache on it. And I liked it because like, okay, it's very basic considering most of the other flasks there are bejeweled, have overt drug references or like DNA on them. Or like super sexual. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like the flask is, you know, a perfect recreation of my genitalia. And I'm like, how do they know? (laughs) But so it was it was simple based on their standards, but it was still kind of fun. So, I mean, we, we all did the mustache thing. We've all posed in the photo booth with the little stick with the mustache being like, mm-hmm. we I don't know if I have. No, we definitely did that cameo's wedding.
1: Like, I know I posed with something. I don't think I picked the mustache, though. I picked the mustache because I
0: am your mustache, Kelly. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh God! What's what's the song with Mustang Sally? Da-da. I mean, that's the name of no, the song. No, but what I'm how what what's the tune? Because I want to go Mustache Kelly.
1: Yeah, that's wait, that's close mustache enough. Mustache Kelly. <laughs>
0: All right, I want that art. Mustache no. Kelly. No one wants that art. <laughs> but your mustache is made of me. <laughs> <laughs> just a little Emily. I'm just I'm like I'm sitting there like with my arms like I'm a little bat where I'm just like <laughs> <laughs> delightful bat noises. All right. Well, I think we should dive in. Kelly, my darling. Yes. Wait, should, am I going first? Yeah. Fuck. Every time. Damn it. I was I shouldn't have asked. I should have been like, Kelly, you're going first. Tell me and about your woman. And that's not a question. OK, well, today I am covering someone who I actually found out about through social media, like Mighty Girl. Uh, I think it's like Amy hmm. Poehler's yeah. organization posted about her, and I and then I saw a bunch of other people posting about because other outlets were posting about her. So I was like, okay, okay, like Universe, I get it. I will cover Agnes Coletti, nice, the fine wine gymnast. Ooh. So Agnes Coletti was born to Jewish parents on January 9th, nineteen twenty-one, in Budapest, Hungary. I feel ya. I am also hungry at all times. But there has to at least be one. Uh, she was the 0.0000 repeating 1% of four-year-olds who was sent to gymnastics classes and actually like became a pro. Right. She ran with it. <laughs> Through strenuous training and hard work, Agnes grew from a four-year-old doing butterfly stretches to a 16-year-old Hungarian national champion. And she would go on to win this title a total of 10 times. She's pretty good. She's pretty good. She does the flip. She does the jump. She does the, the, the gymnast stuff. So it was no wonder that when the 1940 Olympics rolled around, Agnes was all but promised a spot on the Hungarian gymnastics team. But our savvy listeners will know that the 1940 Olympics were canceled due to that pesky Second World War. God damn it. But it's okay because Agnes is going to have another chance in four years at the next Olympics. But then the 1944 Olympics were also canceled due to World War II because this shit was still going. But the Olympics being canceled twice were the least of Agnes's worries. Being Jewish, she was subject to the anti-Semitic laws and behavior that were running rampant in Europe. She was kicked out of her gymnastics club in 1941, and soon after, she went into hiding to avoid being sent to concentration camps. So yeah, going to the Olympics is the last thing on her mind. She's like... I hope I get to live to see when they have another Olympics, you know? In 1944, Agnes married fellow champion gymnast Istvan Sarkany, Sarkany. Excuse me. Uh, but this wasn't some like love in the midst of war romance. It was purely for survival. There was a rumor going around that married women were spared from being sent to the labor camps. So the two. Sorry, my notes jumped. Okay. Oh, my God. I just became Kelly. Yep. It's contagious. Sorry. Um, Yeah, so there was a rumor that married women wouldn't be sent to the labor camps. So the two married in order to improve their odds of survival. They would end up getting divorced in 1950 because getting married purely to survive a global war and genocide is not what makes a strong, lasting relationship. Right. Right. Also, when I said global genocide, Google thought I was talking to I was it. And for it to like that go is, off again. I don't like that. I'm very uncomfortable <laughs> with that. So Agnes bought the identity papers of a Christian girl, using this identity to hide and secure work as a maid in a small village in the Hungarian countryside. The family she worked for were Nazi sympathizers, making her situation all the more precarious. She was truly hiding in plain sight. Like, that would be fucking horrifying. Like, it's one thing if the Nazis come knocking and you're like, hey, look at my papers. I'm Christian and the family you're working for is, like, protecting you. And they're like, yeah, no, she's totally Christian. Let's do the side of the cross. Don't worry about it. But if the family found out that she was Jewish, she was done. Right. Like, I... I've worked for some toxic people in my life. I don't think I've ever worked for anyone who would turn me over to the government to be murdered. That I know of. So, fortunately, the strategy worked and Agnes survived the Holocaust. Her mother and sister also survived. They were two of thousands of Jews who were saved by Swedish diplomat Raoul Gustav Wallenberg. And I did, I did like a little quick. That's look fine. into him because there are so many heroes of the, the Holocaust that deserve some love. So Raul did this by issuing passports and protecting Jews in government buildings that he declared a Swedish territory. He was like the Swedish diplomat or ambassador or something or other. Uh, though Raul helped save thousands, he was arrested by the Soviets when they liberated Hungary on suspected espionage and he died in the Lubyanka. So not a happy yeah, ending no. for Raul, but there are thousands... And then more because, you know, you have kids and you generations and the whole family tree thing and, you know, go forth and multiply. So there are so many people who are in this world just because this guy was like, fuck this bullshit. I'm going to do whatever I can to save you. Which is amazing. Including Agnes's mother and sister. Agnes, her mother and sister, were the only members of their family to survive. The rest, including her father, were murdered at Auschwitz in the gas chambers. Jeez even Hungary's liberation was tainted by death during the 50 day siege of Budapest in the winter of 1944 to 45 during which the Soviets fought to liberate Budapest. The city was overrun with fighting 38,000 civilians would be killed during the siege. Most of whom died from starvation and disease. That is not even counting the soldiers. Like that is just the just civilians realizing the war was coming to a close the far right hungarian nationalists who were like they had their own name and their own own organization but they also were incredibly anti-Semitic, like far-right nationalists. They hated Jews. They hated black people, you know, racist pieces of shit. They committed mass executions of 15,000 Jews who were still trapped in the Jesus. city. Yeah, no, they just started rounding people up and shooting them. Because they're like, ooh, the war is about to end. We better kill as well. I'm like, oh yeah. my God. And that's not something. I, I like, I'm aware that Nazis are not the only racist, anti-Semitic hate group in the world. They're definitely one of the big names, but there were other groups like this that were also going around killing thousands of people. It, yeah, like it, like it wasn't just the Nazis. Like this was such a massive, wide. Oh, it's it's just it's really horrifying. Though the Soviets won and pushed out the Nazis, the new occupiers couldn't maintain order and citizens were subjected to looting and mass kidnappings and rape by the Soviets. There are a lot of reports of, mm-hmm. like, war crimes oh, yeah. being committed by, this, by the Soviet army. During the siege, Agnes would get up every morning, collecting the bodies of the dead to bury them in a mass grave. And the fact that she didn't just hide under a rock the it's whole astounding. time especially when people who were already in the city were like hunting Jewish people and murdering them she's like i'm i'm just i'm going to collect the dead and bury them because they deserve that it just it blows my mind the war finally ended more than 6 million Jews had been murdered according to the united states holocaust memorial museum that does not include the millions of romani disabled queer and more who were queer people and more who were also murdered. Like it was a pretty wide net that they were casting. Oh yeah.
1: Basically anyone different.
0: Yeah. 24 year old Agnes, who was one of only three surviving members of her whole family lived in a changed and traumatized world and was left to put her life back together. She decided to continue her gymnastics career that the war had halted. And I'm just imagining like she's been through some trauma She's been living in fear. All these people have died. Like she's witnessed so much death. Her family members have died. And I'm just imagining, she's like, this, is, this was the thing that I clung to before the war, and that's what I'm going to return to. Like That's going to be my normal. So just a year after the siege of Budapest in 1946, Agnes made her triumphant return to gymnastics, winning the Hungarian championship. The next year in 1947, she won the Central European Gymnastics title. And I know that, like, the world is surprisingly capable of of moving moving on from tragedy and, like, recovering. But it also blows my mind, like, okay, yeah. just a year after this country is liberated from the Nazis, they already have together the you know the Hungarian gymnastics championship like oh yeah no we're back to doing this and like I get it but also it's like oh my god there were so many years of fighting and death and I guess we're all just back to this now it's it's that weird almost return to normalcy that's necessary but feels weird like that's the only way I can put it but I'm happy for Agnes uh but, but, but the next year in 1947 she won the central european gymnastics title yay finally after missing two opportunities to compete uh in the olympics due to world war ii agnes qualified for the 1948 summer olympics but agnes's olympic dreams were once again put on hold though thankfully not by a world war this time yep. but rather a torn ligament in her ankle she would have to wait another four years yep. for a shot at the olympics Meanwhile, she recovered from her injury and kept slaying at gymnastics competitions, including the World University Games. So she's like, she's kicking ass. Everyone like knows her name in the gymnastics world. Finally, the now 31-year-old Agnes prepared for the 1952 Helsinki Olympics. But 31 isn't exactly the prime of a gymnast career. In fact, according to an article by NBC Sports from 2001, the median age for all of the women gymnasts registered for the Tokyo Olympics was 21, which actually broke a decades-long trend of it being in the teens. Olympic gymnast teams are also primarily composed of teenagers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Side note, because I first of all forgot there was a Tokyo Olympics... I I forgot that there was supposed to be one, and then I forgot they still had it. Um, The Tokyo 2020 Games were actually held in 2021, which I didn't know because I fucking forgot Olympics existed in this.
1: I remember, like, people (laughs) talking about them. I don't think I watched them at all.
0: I don't don't have any – I even remember the Sochi Olympics because, like, just seeing it on the TV at bars and stuff. I have no recollection of the Tokyo Olympics. Do
1: you go to bars as much as you used to?
0: Not as much as, I mean, not ones with TVs.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but and, still, like,
0: no one was talking about than, it like, online.
1: NBC and stuff has that shit or whatever channel, like, has mm-hmm. almost exclusive rights to it. Like, yeah, locks that shit down. And it's basically, like, you have to subscribe to them or you only get, like, highlight reels.
0: Yeah, but no one was even talking about it on social media. Like, See, I remember people talking about it. I I don't at all. I Your hope social the Social media a lot. I'm on Facebook all the time. Two years ago, though? It, yeah, in 2021. There was nothing else to do, Kelly. I mean, I was doing a podcast. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I guess I wasn't invited then. So, despite Agnes being quite a bit older than her competition, she won four fucking medals. Nice. Golden floor exercise, silver in team competition, and two bronze medals in the team portable apparatus event. What? And uneven bars. Oh, I'm
1: like, no, seriously, what is
0: the team portable apparatus event? My next sentence. To save you from Googling team portable apparatus, (laughs) uh, it's an event that was only included in the 1952 and 1956 games, and it's similar to rhythmic gymnastics. So it's like a team rhythmic gymnastics performance performance routine thing you take the word
1: apparatus i don't that's what makes
0: it like sound real bad it yeah i'm like do they have to bring their own like, equipment that's what it
1: sounds like do yeah. they make
0: their own props do they put on like a little like a show a little torture device yeah like oh my god i know training for gymnastics is kind of like torture but i didn't i thought they were at least like keeping a tasteful distance from straight up torture of the athletes So while this could have been the crowning achievement of a long and tumultuous career, uh, Agnes wasn't done. She competed in the 1954 World Championships and became the world champion of the uneven bars. She continued to compete and train until the 1956 Olympics in Melbourne. This made the 35-year-old Agnes the fifth oldest Olympic gymnast to ever compete yeah the others being the ones who are older than her being 36 38 and there are two who are 41 plus or minus a few months and actually one of those is pretty recent i think she um competed at the tokyo games that i I forgot were a thing yeah so like she's the fifth oldest gymnast to compete at the olympics and that fucking blows my mind Agnes, who was aging like fine wine, was even more successful at the 1956 Games than the 1952 Games. She won six medals, including three individual gold and a gold in everyone's new favorite discontinued event, the Team Portable Apparatus. This made her one of the most successful athletes at the 1956 Games, period, full stop. Though Agnes isn't the oldest gymnast to compete, she did become the oldest female gymnast to win gold. But Agnes wasn't able to rebel in her victory for long. Because during the 1956 Olympics, the Soviet Union invaded Hungary. Yay. God damn it! Everyone, just stay the... Stay in your own countries. Like, and that's not like an anti-immigrant the Army no, thing. The Army. Stop invading other countries. There you go. Stop it. It's not cool. It wasn't even cool when it was fashionable, but it's super not cool now. It's very stop it. Uh, this puts the Hungarian athletes in a tough position. And she and 44 other Hungarian athletes decide to stay in Australia where they received political asylum. And I can like. I can only imagine what Agnes is going through emotionally. She survived World War II and the Holocaust and the incredibly violent invasion/slash liberation by the Soviet Union during the Siege of Budapest. And now the Soviet Union was marching back into Hungary. And she's like, can we not? We've done this. It sucked. We were just getting back to being kind of okay. Knock the shit off. God. I really hope she, she just started yelling that in, in Hungary. Just knock this shit off. God right. damn it. So while in Australia, she became a gymnast coach before emigrating to Israel in 1957, where she continued her gymnastics career, competing in the Jeez. 1957 Maccabiah Games. <laughs> like She just, she won't stop. She's like, no, 30 is the new 16 for gymnasts. We're doing this. So uh, Israel was the fresh start that Agnes wanted. She would eventually retire from gymnastics, marry in 1959, and have two children. And after retiring from competition, Agnes worked as a Phi Ed teacher at Tel Aviv University and the Wingate Institute for the Sports in Netanya. She would also coach the Israeli Olympic gymnastics wow. team well into the 1990s. In 2015, Agnes returned to Hungary, settling in Budapest. And I can only imagine, like the I I I bet we could feel the oh, I'm sure uh, the goddamn it eye roll when Russia invaded Ukraine. Like, could you just fucking stop it? Right, knock it off. We've done this. We're done. We're over it. God. So now normally this is where I would tell you when she died and where she's buried but I can't. She's but not, not because we're bad at record keeping, but because Agnes is still fucking alive at 102 years old. She's a bad bitch. You can't kill her. Yeah. I uh, okay, here's my headcanon. She is going to survive to see the Russians get their asses kicked out of Ukraine God, and then she's so. going to be like and stay there. Fuck it. Stay, stay. Stay in your stay. country. Stay. I'm using my authority. Stay. Good Russia. Stay. So living legacy. Since 2016, Agnes has been the oldest living Hungarian Olympic champion and the oldest living Olympic champion at all since 2019. Wow. Agnes has been honored for her resilience and successful gymnastics career in several ways. She was inducted into the International Jewish Sports Hall of Fame in 1981. And then the Hungarian Sports Hall of Fame in 1991. so cool. And then the International Women's Sports Hall of Fame in 2001. And then the International Gymnastics Hall of Fame in 2002. (laughs) And she was recognized as one of Hungary's 12 athletes of the nation in 2004. In 2017, she was announced as a laureate of the Israel Prize in Sports. Wow. And this is my favorite. Asteroid number (laughs) 265594 is named... Catelli uh, Agnes after her. So she is quite literally out of this world. I
1: want to have an asteroid named after me.
0: Okay. I know that buying stars and like having them named after someone is, but that is bullshit. Different, like, but I kind be, big enough within no, no, a community. No. Yeah. that whatever scientific body governs asteroids is like you. Yeah. we're
1: naming this after
0: you. Yeah, that was what like I want. The person, um, I should have written this down. I think he might have been a Hungarian scientist, but he he named it after yeah. her. He's like, oh, Agnes is. It, it might the be fucking similar best. to
1: like. If you find, like, moons and stuff, mm-hmm. you, you you get to name it.
0: Yeah. So all I need to do is discover an asteroid. And instead of naming it after someone worthy, name it, name it after myself. No, you name it after me. I'm going to call it the na-na-na-na-na-na. <laughs> Emily. <laughs> asteroid. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's hilarious.
0: Um Though she was prevented from competing in the Olympics multiple times due to global war and injury, she ended her gymnastics career with 10 Olympic medals, half of which were gold. And that is the story of the still living and aging like fine wine gymnast, Agnes Coletti. That's amazing. May she live forever. Forever. Drink to her longevity. But, like, it's not even just, like, living to 102 is pretty incredible. That's amazing. Especially, like, with everything but she went through. The fact that she survived the Holocaust as a Jewish girl, she lived to be 102. Yeah. And then even the fact that she was able to get back into training for gymnastics, because I can only imagine, like, you know, food was not readily available, you can't, you don't get health care. You're in constant fear. The stress alone, I think, would, would kill me. And just a year after all of this had ended, when the people around her are starving and dying of disease, and she's like, I'm back. I'm doing my gymnastics. Right? And I couldn't find a quote that was like how she felt about gymnastics, but I just imagine it kind of being a lifeline for her. It has Cause to. She, it's not like, you know, she picked it up. After the war, like she was already doing it and she's like, no, I'm not going to let them take this from me. I'm not going to let them stop my career. I say when I'm done. And I just I think that's really amazing.
1: Yeah. Like even when. Yeah, I just I do too. like it really just shows you that if something throws you off course from something you want to do in life. There is nothing saying that you can't get back on that course.
0: Except my own excuses, Kelly.
1: Yeah, but that's your choice. (laughs) You forgot my power to make excuses. That is is different. That is you choosing not to get back on course. (laughs) That is you abandoning course because you're too lazy. This is true. This is
0: true. It's me. Hi, the problem, it's me. (laughs) Or I'm the problem, it's me. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem, it's me. (laughs) See, Taylor can't sue me because I totally fucked her lyrics. I fucked the lyrics up so bad that there's no way she can claim (laughs) that I took intellectual property. Totally
1: intentional. Yes. No,
0: it's, it's fine. All right. Hey, guys. We know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to, thank goodness.
1: There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist
0: network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area you just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours, that is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions, plus you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist
1: at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Herstory. So, Kelly,
0: who are you whining about?
1: I am whining about... So, okay, I'm going to say this wrong because I, I heard it pronounced both ways it's either afra or afra or something like that i'm going to go with afra a p h r a
0: afra afra it's fun to say like like you want to see her on the street you be like afra what's up girls let's go get some coffee can we go get some coffee kelly yeah that sounds fantastic coffee <laughs> so
1: her name's afra ben she was born in Kent, England, in 1640. Ooh, we're going back a ways.
0: Go back before um, the Nazis. Before the Nazis. <laughs> there, there was a whole different brand of bullshit oh, going we're on. Get don't into get it. me wrong. Don't,
1: don't worry about that. Um. So as what as Emily, can you guess what what her early life was like? As what happens with a lot of these women from this far back?
0: Oh, we have no. Fucking we have no idea. Fucking idea. All we know is that she survived. to then do Do something something
1: which was enough to get on record yeah Yeah, or to marry
0: someone Um, to get on record
1: yeah so yeah not much is known about her early life
0: presumably a child she was not presumably she was not born born an adult and she was she was not benjamin buttoning she was born as a normal baby right (laughs) who aged appropriately theoretically um no one knows though this is why we need to write things down exactly there are so many benjamin button babies floating around there from the past and we just don't know about it no one knew no one knew how bad benjamin button syndrome was
1: so yeah not much is known about her early life it's believed she grew up in a middle class family there is a lot of like not determination there's a lot of People who think that this was in, an intentional thing on Afro's part, actually, that she may have purposely obscured some of her past. For what reasons, no one knows. But basically, even she told multiple versions of her younger life throughout her lifetime. Okay. One of those, I, I put a few in here because they kind of amuse me. So one version is that she was born to a barber named John Amos and his wife Amy. I hope they called him John. James, Right? <laughs> That'd be great.
0: James. Someone name your child Jameis. Not Jamison, Jameis.
1: J-A-M-I-S.
0: Yep. Jameis. Or Hamas. Hamas. Or Yameus. Depending on your cultural oh, you proclivity. Want to it. yeah. yeah, it's it's your baby. You can do whatever the hell you want.
1: Um, another one has Aphra being born to a couple named Cooper. One of Um her biographers said that she was born to Bartholomew Johnson, um, a barber, and Elizabeth Denham, a wet nurse. Um, so, yeah, there's at least three to four different stories floating around about where the fuck this person came from. Um, Colonel Thomas Culpepper, um, the only person who claimed to have known her as a child... Claimed to known her
0: as a child, uh, according to family lore. Yeah, Ro Pepper du- sat her, and she was a dick.
1: Wrote that she was born somewhere in Surrey or Canterbury to a Miss Mister Johnson, and that she had a sister named Frances, a Mister James Johnson. Right. Um. Yeah. Cool. Um. There was there was one more version that it kind of went back to the same people that one of her biographers said that bartholomew and elizabeth and that she also had a, a brother um who died like young there it was said that she was betrothed to someone like basically there was all just these different things that no one truly knows what and i it, like if you think of like this day and age where literally everything is recorded yeah like the fact that someone's existence could just be like yeah we don't know yeah We know she had to have been born at some point because she ended up here at some point. Yeah. How she got there.
0: I I, don't know. I also like the idea of her crafting her legend and just having a lot of fun with it. Like she's at a party. She's kind of bored. And people are like, oh, where are you from? And she just starts making shit up. So there are all these legends about like, oh, yes, her father was James Johnson, the barber wet nurse of Canterbury who wrote the Canterbury Tales. Like, I don't know. But like.
1: We've I've I know I've covered at least one or two other women that yeah also intentionally did that oh, yeah. because it was basically like a, you don't need to know my fucking past. To so be fair, you.
0: to be fair, we have all done that. We have all lied either about who we are or to people for our own amusement. I in college, I went through this really bad phase where I would see someone and be, and like, I would hear someone else say their name. I'd be like, Oh my God, Rebecca, it's so good to see you. And then watch the person be like, Hey, I'm like, Oh my God. English was so like confusing. Like I know. And I was a really bad person. I was a really bad person yeah, <laughs> for a were. minute. <laughs> I don't do that anymore mm-hmm. unless someone deserves it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I only use my powers for good.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, <right. laughs> I only gaslight people for good. See, like,
1: I could never do that because even today, like, I've always been really good at recognizing faces. Like, I can, re- I can generally tell if I've met you before, mm-hmm. I will not be able to tell you what your name is. Which means I can't interact with people because I can't be like, hey, Lisa. I would just be like... Hey, I know you, which is super creepy.
0: Okay, but you're missing the whole point. You don't know them and they don't know you. What if I
1: do know them and they just don't know me?
0: then you don't know them. If you don't know if you know
1: them, you do no, not like, know them. I have been in situations where I 100% am like, I know you. I could tell you how we interacted, but I could not tell you your name.
0: But that's not the point. The point is to not know the person at all and gaslight them into thinking it, well, they know you. you know, know them you. enough to
1: know their name. No,
0: it's you hear someone say oh, their name like I in the common that area. That's
1: super funny. It's... <laughs> <laughs> like, I heard you saying it. I thought it was some people you knew, but
0: that you knew they wouldn't remember you. No, it was people. I had, I just, I just, heard, like, someone be like, oh, hey, Rebecca. I'm like, oh, my God, Rebecca? Girl! <laughs> I was always very complimentary, if that makes it any better. I mean, it, better. it does. I'm like, oh, my God, you look so fucking cute I today. I mean, it's not like
1: you were doing any harm. You were just confusing people. I That's was, not that mean.
0: We're, it, we're college. We're all... Exactly. We're in college. We're all confused.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so... Things we do know about Aphra, kind of, is that she was educated to some extent and that she had a pretty good knowledge of languages, mainly French and Spanish, as well as English.
0: Oh, muy bien. Es muy inteligente. Maybe. Probably.
1: Um, let's be honest, because Aphra, while her writings, because she's a, she becomes a writer, um, while her writings show education, we know just strictly from the time period it is that women We're not allowed to get education because it was considered taboo at
0: that time. So even, even if they were like higher class,
1: I'm getting to that.
0: Oh, okay. Um, so
1: even though some aristocratic girls in the past had been able to receive, again, still not a common thing. Yeah. Um, there is absolutely like, there's a very low chance that she would have been an aristocrat without anyone
0: knowing it that that's actually because a really good point. They actually kept extensive records. <laughs> it also really helps when
1: you have like wh- somebody dedicated to being like you had a baby.
0: Well, I was going to say it also really helps when there's a lot of incest going on and it's oh, this one dude is the brother, uncle, father, grandfather cousin to mother. all of these people yeah. like it's just one person with a whole bunch of lines yeah. shooting off from them exactly
1: so yeah like like I said it's it's very unlikely that she was an aristocrat and it's also just very unlikely that she received education just based on the time and where she lived mm-hmm. something called self-tuition was practiced during European women during the 17th century during this time but it relied heavily on parents allowing it to happen. Basically, parents either teaching their kids things or allowing their kids to copy other works of things, but that still meant the parent had to be able to get their hands on
0: yeah. books for their children to copy. And then they had to have some level of education. Right, like somebody
1: still had to teach that child how to read.
0: Also, they had to have the time where when you are working your ass off to feed the 20 children that you have no way of not having or supporting, you kind of run out of time to like teach your kids how to read.
1: Right. Well, her parents must've had enough time because she was educated enough to know how to read and write at the very least. And her writings did show that she had some, at least some form of education so Aphra was born, this is the time period during the, the buildup to the English Civil War, so she's a child and an adult in a lot of time of political tension, as mm-hmm. well as just various things changing. Um, at one point, she would travel, whether with her parents or to, like, with someone else. No one's really quite sure who she traveled with, but to a small English colony in, I don't remember if it was South America or South Africa. Uh, it was an English colony that would later get uh, captured by the Dutch during the English Civil War. Okay. Um, it was, was it South, the- South America. It was called uh, Suriname. Okay. Um, supposedly, she may have traveled with the Bartholomew Johnson that was maybe or maybe not her father. And then he supposedly died on the, the journey which caused the rest of the family to kind of like be stuck in the colony for several months, though there is no evidence of this. Um, Apparently during this time, Aphra said that she met an African slave leader who formed the basis for one of her later works um, and that she may have been a possible spy in the colony. Oh, damn. There's little valuable evidence to confirm any of the stories. I mean, there's really nothing to say that they're not true either. It's one of those things, but like, you know.
0: um, I like the idea that She's never bored. She's always finding some shit to get into. Exactly. Um
1: her the basically all we know is that she was actually in the colony because her correspondence with other people at the time did show that. Okay. So we're like, yes, she was there. We were we were able to find Carmen San Diego
0: right. <laughs> at this specific point in time.
1: When she returned to London in 1664, a married Johan Ben. So this is where she gets her last name. Also written Johan with one N or two or John.
0: It's Jameis. Exactly. It, no, it was Jameis. Y- His name was Jameis Ben. Um, mm-hmm.
1: What happened to him after they got married? Who the fuck knows? He <laughs> either died or they didn't actually stay married or anything. Cause there's basically just like no record, like record of them together or him in general after this we just know that she they, we know took they his got last married name. yeah and from this point on she would write under mrs ben
0: do you think okay you know how we're always joking like you marry that person for their last name do you think she was like she married him and then she murdered him ben is a great last name i don't think she murdered him i think she just like dipped it potato chipped maybe you know she's like okay i have the last name it's official Okay, cool. Yeah, let's do yeah. this. I'm Ben now. I'm, um, I'm Mrs. Ben. She would
1: write as Mrs. Ben, and even in her correspondence, she would occasionally sign her name as Benny or Bean.
0: Oh, my God. I love that. Well, also, it, it's
1: Ben. It, the last name is spelled B-E-H-N, so she would spell it B-E-H-N-E.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. Bean. Also, maybe she did it just to make a Big Ben joke. Like, oh, yeah, I got my Big Ben right here. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Or maybe she's like, I have a Big Ben right here and then like gestures to her crotch. Right. Like clearly she's not making a joke of her husband because the dude like doesn't exist. (laughs) That makes it easier to make fun of him, though, don't you think?
1: (laughs) I mean, is it an insult to call a guy Big Ben, though?
0: Well, you could say like, you know, he was not so Big Ben, if you know what I mean. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Because women totally talked like that in the 1660s. Hey there guys and dolls. Let me tell you about
1: Ben. Okay, you've made it to like 1920s. <laughs> I don't know what's going no. You're on. only about 300 years too late. <laughs> yeah. I have such a limited range. I know. <laughs> By 1666, uh Afra had become attached to the court again. She was not aristocracy, but she just like knew people. So she was placed uh in Westminster in lodgings um kind of near fancy people. Okay. Which was great because at this time the second Anglo-Dutch war had broken out. God damn it. People can't stay you know people are like no I don't want my own I don't want only my own country. I must have all the countries particularly England in this era.
0: There was such I mean yeah no colonialism it was it was like people trying to collect Pokemon cards but with so much murder and genocide and colonial, right. like it was, it was, but it, the way they were treating it was like, everyone's trying to one up each other and just grab as much as they can. But then with these huge socioeconomic and human casualties that we're still feeling the effects of today, yeah. But they're just like, no, no, no I just I just want to have it all because it's, it's good for my status. Yeah. And I, I want spices.
1: So because of her different connections. Um, and like her knowledge, like just general knowledge, she was actually cr- recruited as a political spy.
0: Oh, in Antwerp on
1: behalf of King Charles II.
0: So we know she's a spy in this case.
1: And this is actually, well, this is the first, even like though she got married, the guy disappears. This is this, her becoming a spy is the first well-documented account of her activities that exist.
0: Okay, wait, if she's a spy, isn't this the one time that they shouldn't document what she's doing? Well, no, because the government still needs to know who their spies are. I mean, I'm just saying. It's not like,
1: I mean, this was over 300 years ago. It has entered the public domain. It probably
0: didn't for a good while. No, I know. I just love, we know nothing about her until no one was supposed to know anything about who she really was. Then we learned everything. And honestly,
1: that could be another reason we don't know a lot about Mm -hmm. her childhood.
0: I wonder if like all the stories were just like her spy aliases.
1: Probably not. She has one very specific spy alias and she was not a spy for very long. She did not do well. She did bad. She failed her mission. Oh no! So yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. Anyways, um, her code name uh, is said to have been Estrella, which I love. I do, um, love and that. she would publish a lot of her writings under that later. Which I'm like, stop giving up your code name!
0: God damn it! Um,
1: but her chief role was to establish intimacy with William Scott, who was the son of Thomas Scott, who was a regicide who had been executed six years prior. Um, but William was believed to already be a spy um, against the King or ra- So he wasn't like working with the Dutch. He was working with English people that didn't want the King in power.
0: Okay. So mutiny.
1: Yeah. He, cool. he was helping with mutiny. Um, so basically she went to Burgess. Which I don't actually know where that is, but she did. She went to Burgess. I looked it up and then I forgot to like, actually be like, this is where it is. <laughs>
0: Everyone in Burgess is super mad at you right I'm now. I'm so sorry. They're screaming in burgeonies. Burgess, Burgess. Okay, so I Googled
1: it just because I was curious. And I must have s- spelled it wrong. I spelled those two S's. Apparently, it only has one S and nothing shows up. Great. Wow, Google oh, sucks. Oh, no. Apparently, Burgess is just an informal
0: or small town. So the three people in Burgess are really mad at you yeah, right now. <laughs> uh, I've been listening since the beginning and she doesn't even know where my town is. Fuck
1: her. Anyways, um, so she, she arrived in whatever town she was stationed in, probably with a few other people, which was probably a great thing because at this time, London was being racked with the plague and fire.
0: So, you know, it's probably a good thing she left London. Okay. So when I hear about stuff like that, I'm like... You know, it, it feels good not to be alone. Like, the world is on fire. We have the plague. I mean, in, in this case, the, the first world time. was
1: literally on fire.
0: I know, but it's not the first time it's happened. No, exactly. And it won't be the last time. I'm just saying, it, it's kind of like, okay, okay, I can do this. Right. So,
1: Aphra worked at her job trying to turn William into a double agent. However, there is evidence that uh, he betrayed her to the Dutch. So, maybe she wasn't doing necessarily a bad job, but she must have been obvious enough that he was like, hmm... So I found some, this was another thing that got a little muddy, which I'm like, how do you not have like documents about this? But like, yeah. she may or may not have been imprisoned <laughs> it just... more. It sounds like more than likely her cover just got blown. And so like, she, she was just kind of peaced. on her own. I mean, not really because, uh, her exploits were not profitable and the sc- like the cost of skyrocketing, the cost of living was shocking and she had left completely unprepared. She was like, oh, I'm going on the spy mission. It'll be great. So one month after her arrival, she had to pawn all of her jewelry to just survive. Oh, my God. At this time, King Charles was really slow at paying if he paid people at all. Um, and her services and her expenses whilst abroad were not getting refunded at all. Yeah. So she had to borrow money so that she could return to London Where she spent a year petitioning Charles II for payment and never got anything. She was never paid by the crown.
0: Okay, again, the shit is still happening. Like, have you seen those article headlines where it's like, companies could lose billions if they pay workers unpaid wages. And it's like, wait, you mean if they pay them? No, no. I'm guessing,
1: I didn't see these headlines, but I'm guessing what they're talking about is that a lot of people tend to work after they clock out, and but they're just like, well, I was supposed to clock out, so I clocked out, but I had to finish my work.
0: No, so there, are no unpaid- there are people who aren't getting paid oh, okay. for, for the work that they're doing. and then-, then they shouldn't
1: be doing that work. I'm sorry. Well, you get
0: fired and you don't have a job. If
1: you're not getting paid anyways, does it really matter? It's, it's exploitation, though. No, I know, but my point is... This is, goes out to all of our listeners. If you are working a
0: job and they are not paying you, quit because you're not making money anyways. And then everyone goes, no one wants to work anymore. Oh my God. No, then you so find lazy. another job no, and no, actually I'm saying, make money. I'm saying the employers are like, God, no one wants to work. And it's like, no, one, no, <laughs> no, no one wants to work for what you're actually exactly. not paying but them. But things don't change. But just the whole, the whole, like the headlines being like, <laughs> here's the consequences to the big companies who aren't compensating their employees? It's like, no, no, that's illegal. You have to pay your work.
1: And that's, that's, I guess that's why I'm, that's why I thought you were talking about something different because I'm like, how, how is it possible that companies are getting away with not paying their workers?
0: Because they're a bunch of mustache twirling villains.
1: It still doesn't make any sense with me. There are literally laws in place to prevent that from happening and the company could lose a shit ton more money.
0: I know. And they have to be held accountable. I'm
1: just, but no that's so confusing.
0: I'm just saying the shit don't change and it's very frustrating.
1: I mean, it's a little bit different because King, like a King can just be like, yeah, no. And no one's going to stand up to him. Still not. Okay. No. Um, so at some point a warrant may or may not have been issued for her arrest, but there's no evidence that it was ever served or that she went to prison for debt because fuck her history and what's written down and what's not. That's what I learned (laughs) doing this story. I was like, dear, sweet Jesus. So forced by, by debt and lack of a husband, shocker, Aphra began working for the King's Company and the Duke's Company, um, like, players, so, like, theaters. She's working for theaters. Um, she's working as a scribe, kind of just, you know, behind the scenes. Up to this point, she had written poetry, but nothing had been, um, like, published. She she liked writing, but she, it was not a job. So prior to this, prior, or prior to 1668, um, plays by women... Well, one, women, I think, still were not allowed to be on stage at this point. Mm-hmm. But plays, even prior to 1668, plays by women, so women-written plays, were also not allowed to be staged. In 1668, that changed, at least in London. And Aphra was one of the first women to make a living as a professional writer of plays. So that's pretty cool. Okay. So Aphra's first play... there's I don't go over all the names of her play, but I go over the first few because I'm like, yep, there's a pattern in what you're writing about. Yep. Um, so April's first play was called The Forced Marriage. Oh, no. Which was a romantic comedy. Tra- <laughs> which I saw that word and I'm like, that's going in my notes. comedy, Because you can't say Tragedy.
0: Because then it's just one word. Like it's not y- tragedy. I, no, but, oh, I know, but that's one. tragedy. Yeah. yeah. You can't combine tragedy and comedy without calling it a tragic comedy. No, of course. Otherwise not. Otherwise, it's just a tragedy.
1: Um, so it was a romantic tragedy or tragic comedy. on arranged marriages. <laughs> Shocking, if you couldn't tell. Um, and it was staged by the Duke's Company in 1670. It ran for six nights and was regarded as a good run for a play that. N- for by an author no one had ever heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, six months later, she wrote a play called The Amorous Prince, Ooh. which was also successfully staged. And again, uh, Aphra used the play to comment on the harmful effects of arranged marriages, which makes me go, was yours an arranged marriage?
0: Yeah, is that where Ben came from? Right. No one knows. Um, where did you come from? Where would you go? Where would you come from? Not so big Ben Joe. <laughs>
1: So unlike a lot of other women of the time, Aphra never did anything to hide the fact that she was a woman. And in in fact, she made a point to like show off that she was a woman playwright and like make things from women's point of view and stuff like that, which uh, didn't always go over well.
0: The B in Ben was just a pair of tits.
1: <laughs> You're just she's like, really
0: stuck on that, aren't the Ben. It's a great last name, but also she's not hiding that she's a woman, so I'm imagining her signing her name in a way where it's like there is no way for you to think I'm not a woman. There are literally tits in my name.
1: That's funny. So when the Dorset Garden Theater staged staged The Dutch Lovers again, you know, uh critics sabotaged the play on the grounds that the author was a woman. Afro would go on to tackle these critics head on in her next play uh, where she argued that uh, women had been held back by their unjust exclusion from education, not their lack of ability.
0: Okay, also the idea of spamming... Reviews because right. Ew, it's a woman again. This shit has not changed. Well, and I think it's so funny.
1: And, and this comes up later is a lot of times what she'll do is she'll like have all these critics talk about one of her plays, and then in the like prologue of her next play, she'll like clap back at the critics, and then it'll just be the play. And I'm like, I love that she's like, no, 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 no. I have a response. Yep. And now you have a play. Yes.
0: <laughs> I have a response, and you have a play, and go fuck yourself. And it's just
1: great. Um. Again, critic like critics did not like that and they found other ammunition um as well they started criticizing her public liaison with a man named john hoyle who was a bisexual lawyer who was kind of scandalous obviously like if he if people knew he was
0: bisexual like obviously like yeah for the time it was yeah it was something to talk about
1: uh so um Sadly, she had a string of uh, plays that didn't do well, and for a while, Afer kind of just falls off the public record, as she do. As she do. As she do, for about three years. Some people say she went traveling again. Some people say maybe she picked up as a spy again. <laughs> <laughs> she was so bad at it, though. No one knows. Um, well, after she came back, she was like, you know, she was like, no, writing is what I want to do. This time, she moved almost strictly towards just comic- comedy works, because... Mm-hmm they were more commercially successful. Mm -hmm. Shocking. Um, She actually went on to publish, like after her return, she published four plays like within a year of each other.
0: Oh God. Four
1: plays in one year. Not four plays each in a year. Yeah. Four plays, one year-ish. And this actually, they were all pretty good successes. But of course, with that many successes that close together, that led to really frequent attacks on her. Not physical critics' attacks. Yeah, Um, they would attack her private life, the morality of her plays. Um, She was accused of accused of plagiarizing one of them called "The Rover," basically like all of these different things. And she would counter each of these public attacks in the prefaces of of the next published play.
0: I love. I I love. She's like. It's A for a Ben with an H for hell no. Right. Also, I love this idea that like her plays are crap. And then it's like, no, she stole the play. It's like you're telling me she stole a crappy play. Right. What? Like this makes no sense. You're just being really salty. Right. So in the preface to her play called Sir
1: Patient Fancy, she argued that she was being singled out. Because she was a woman while while the male playwrights were free to live the most scandalous lives they wanted and write body plays without anyone saying anything, which that is super true. Like if you actually look at like Shakespeare, which I mean, that was before this time. Yeah. But like if you look at Shakespeare, his plays are basically like mostly sex sexual jokes that we just don't understand anymore and that was still super common in the
0: 1670s but as a woman it was improper for her to talk about that stuff thank god that's not an issue that we have anymore luckily uh the
1: populace didn't give a shit what the critics say, which is still a thing. <laughs> yeah, we Because don't. by the late 1670s, Aphra was among the leading playwrights of England. In fact, she was one of the most productive playwrights in Britain, second only to the poet laureate of the
0: time. Oh, my God. Uh,
1: yeah. Her plays were staged frequently by multiple companies and often attended by the king.
0: She the became- king that didn't pay her? <laughs> yeah. Did she like single him out and be like, hey, <laughs> money, money, money. Oh, <laughs> probably not. I hope she went out on stage. She's like, bitch, better have my money. <laughs> There's a good chance she would, she wasn't
1: even at her plays. I mean,
0: this is true. Um, so, she,
1: Because of like who was attending her plays and how notable she was becoming, she became friends with a lot of other notable writers of the time and was acknowledged as a part of the circle of the Earl of Rochester. <gasps> not
0: this Rochester.
1: <sighs> We're um, not even. We're this not even Rochester. like. We're not even a twinkle in the eye. We're actually we're <laughs> the
0: world like, yet. We're like three to four Rochester's removed mm-hmm. because we're named after Rochester, New York, which is named after literally any other Rochester. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Um. So the funny thing is, remember that like the play I mentioned that they were like, "You plagiarized this." Yeah, that became one of the King's like favorites, like at his court. So take that, bitches.
0: Suck it, critics.
1: Okay, so we're coming back to the king and the royals just because, you know, it's fun. So Mm -hmm. King Charles II, this is a little, and honestly, if you're from um, England and I get this wrong, just tell me, but I had to do a little bit of background, so.
0: Okay, so Kelly's being really nice and being like, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm telling you, we don't actually care. (laughs) So Charles II had no legitimate heir.
1: Which obviously, you know, caused a political crisis. Yep. Um, Basically, it, it literally caused, like, mass hysteria in England at the time. This is about 1670, where people started suggesting, not demanding, not even, like, just, like, there was a suggestion floating around that, hey, maybe your Roman Catholic brother, James, should be king, Because at least then we're keeping it, like, within the bloodline. So they were like, hey, James should be king. And a lot of people were like, but he's Catholic.
0: (laughs) Fucking hate. We, no, they, it was very hot to hate on the Catholics for a long time. And this is, like, prime that. So basically,
1: the political climate basically became two different parties. They There were the Whigs, which wanted oh, to yep. not include the Roman Catholic James and find someone else. And the Tories, who was like, no, according to our secession laws, James is the next legally in line for the secession, and we shouldn't change the laws of secession.
0: Is this James of Scotland? I don't know. James oh, okay. the Second. Okay. just I'm going to shut up. But yeah, I, I remember the Whigs and the Tories. Yeah. I didn't... Google terrible, James it was. Terrible team names. Just t- awful job all around. Get a marketer. You can do better. Yeah, he
1: was the king of Scotland.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, because that was a whole thing. He was also king of Ireland at one point. Yes, but yeah, they were trying to get yeah. uh, so James of Scotland. Here's,
1: here's the weird thing. So when he became king of Ireland in England, he was James II, but as king of Scotland, he was James the seventh.
0: Scotland has a lot more Jameses. <laughs> just, I think that's super funny. They're just overrun with Jameses. Okay, so no Jameses or Jamises, just a bunch of
1: James. So Whigs and Tories. So Afra supported the Tories, you know, because everyone picked sides. Because yeah. why not? And in the two years between eighteen or sixteen eighty one and sixteen eighty two, she produced five plays to discredit the Whigs. Jesus Christ, we have that much time. Um, so she would often use her writings to attack um, the Whigs that were already in the parliament. And um, she also used it to repro- reproach parliament because she never got paid.
0: Yeah, I would also be um, salty. So the
1: Tory sympathizers that were in the London Obvious obviously were like, yeah, we're going to like support the anti Whigs. So they like would flock to the uh plays which was great for her mm-hmm. um but she eventually had a warrant issued for her arrest by King Charles because she critica- criticized James Scott different James yeah but he was the illegitimate son of the king
0: oh so he got mad for
1: her criticizing him
0: hey you're not g- hey 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 he's not good enough to rule after me but only no, I get to dunk on my, But no, only I get to dunk on my illegitimate children. You don't. One legitimate penis to rule them all.
1: Right. So eventually, um So I guess there's like different versions of the Parliament in England, which I don't understand at all. Um, but basically the king dissolved Parliament or his Parliament eventually. And James second did, did end up seceding him in eight, 1685. So, okay. Just so nice little bow to wrap up yep. that story. James, James did become James, the second King of England and All right, Ireland J- and Scotland, but he was the seventh. All right. Jimmy jams. So, um, after this, like there was, you know, a big shift in various things and audience audience numbers started declining in theaters in general, not just, for Aphra just in general. Mm-hmm. So theater started uh staging like older plays to save on costs because they didn't have to like buy the rights to the plays and stuff like that. Nevertheless, Aphra didn't give up and she started, she still st- kept staging new plays.
0: Also, it's stories that you know are going to draw people in because they already know and like them versus people taking a risk exactly. on seeing something they don't know if they're going to enjoy.
1: So one of the plays she wrote was The Lucky Chance which was in response to criticism leveled at, or no, in response to the criticism leveled at that play, she articulated a long and passionate defense of women writers in the preface of the, the next play. As she does. I just I love l- that she does that. So somebody has to like stand there on the stage and like read this preface to
0: the, like, to the audience. And they're like, hold on guys, we have another rant. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Holding up the paper. Women. Have not been excluded from playwriting due to inadequacy, but due to a lack of education. Point at Dick as in front row. You, sir, are a part of the problem, yes, and your yes. criticism is rooted in sexist misogyny. <laughs> like if she's a match for tomato throw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for tomato throw. <laughs> I just imagine she wrote that in there like, bite, sorry. Bite thumb at him. Oh, okay. Uh. Right. I bite my thumb at thee, asshole. (laughs) (laughs) So
1: um, another play she wrote during this time where theaters weren't doing very well was called The Emperor of the Moon. um, Love that. Which became her longest running play. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Unfortunately, in her later years, as it is later years for that time frame, she, let's see, she was born in the 1640s. It is. So she's about 40. Okay. 47. It's old for God.
0: Them. She's, um, she's, uh, for her time, yeah. she's rivaling Agnes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, people shouldn't be able to live to 40. This is right. inhuman.
1: So in her later years, her health began to fail. She was still f- like, it's interesting because her plays did really well, but she was still pretty in debt and mm-hmm. impoverished um, but she continued to write ferociously even when it became hard for her to hold a pen. Um, she kind of switched from writing plays to publishing prose and some novels um, I, I just love this because this, this so she wrote a three-part like series that was called Love Letters between a nobleman and his sister which she published anonymously. And they were inspired by a scandal that was going on during the time which saw a lord, Lord Grey, elope with his sister-in-law.
0: Oh. So
1: she like called that shit out. Um, in fact, though, that three-part series was so popular, it went through 16 different editions by 1800.
0: Jesus. People real liked it. Okay, people love... Okay scandals people love scandals also like i know that we're not supposed to you know take joy in other people's misery or engage in rumors but if someone's like oh my god my Did co-worker my coworker just ran away with his brother's wife i'd be like be like tell me more tell me everything right <laughs> do you, wh- who are can i look them up on facebook i must know everything right <laughs> like,
1: she, so we, she, we love it yeah She also spent a lot of her later years translating books from French and Latin into English, which I'm like, cool. Yeah. Um, Good side There was like a, I originally had like a really long paragraph about it, about like which books she did. And I'm like, nope. we're we're cutting that out anyways she would go on to die in april on april 16th of 1689 anyway she would go on to die (laughs) i said she was getting sick i know i just love the way 49 years old and she's buried in the east cloister of westminster abbey oh shit the inscription on her tombstone reads quote here lies proof that wit can never be defense against mortality basically you can be smart and you're still gonna die
0: no no that's a fuck them she was it's like they're blaming her like oh you think you're so smart well who's dead now like, <laughs> I want to know more
1: about her life because she's apparently quoted as sta- like stating toward the end of her life that she lived a life dedicated to pleasure and poetry and I'm like wait, wait 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 when
0: where's this pleasure part <laughs> I want to know about that <laughs>
1: Um, okay, you know I'm, what, though? I'm not though? done yet. They're, I mean, I'm done
0: with her story, I, I, but I have a lot of other I stuff. I just want to say, like, she's basically the clapback queen, and everyone was like, okay, she's dead. She can't clap back at us. We finally get the final word, right. and they made, like, a really shitty inscription for her. Right. Fuck them. That's awful. So
1: following her death, a lot of the newer female dramatists... um, acknowledged Aphra as their most vital predecessor who opened up the public space for female writers. Aww. Um. So obviously there was a lot of stuff going on and people saying shit about her work Um. while she was alive. Yeah, that didn't stop after she died and until the mid-20th century. So fairly recently... Aphra was repeatedly dismissed as morally depraved minor writer and her literary work has been marginalized and often dismissed outright. Um, her, so a lot of her literary work was scandalized as lewd by multiple people. Um, um,
0: some people said that her stuff was unfit to read because it was corrupt and deplorable. I love their saying these adjectives like they're bad things. I'm like, this makes me want it more. Right.
1: Um, however, there there have always been several critics that are like, no, she was an important writer. So that's good. Like there was mm-hmm. significantly fewer. Yeah. But still there. Um, there were the AFRA stands out there. What's really cool is like. Even though she was a very highly contested writer, Aphra has been, um, like, in her life, has been recounted by a long line of um, biographers, including Vita Sackville-West and, oh, Vir- shit. and Virginia Woolf.
0: Oh, shit! Yeah.
1: We love them! So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so, I'm trying to think what else. Or I'm I'm trying to, like, not read everything. But, oh, so since the 1970s, her literary works have been re, re- kind of since, like the feminism movement is really feminism. gotten moving yep. um and basically it's been rediscovered as uh, she's been rediscovered as a significant female writer
0: oh my god your dog is not having it right now yeah. she is losing her shit um, scratching at the door
1: so this has led to a lot of reprinting of her works recently which is great um and yeah like basically she's been honored more recently
0: um <laughs> I'm
1: sorry this I know. is very distracting
0: <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm super invested in Aphra Ben I'm very
1: invested in her I'm sorry so her poetry ha- focuses on gender, sexuality, femininity, pleasure and love she does talk about female pleasure and sexuality in her pro- poetry which is probably why a lot of people called it like deplorable mm-hmm. um, she- and she wrote freely about sex from a female's perspective which is again the big no no um, Virginia Woolf famously wrote in one of her books, she wrote books, right? Yes, A Room yes. of One's Own, that quote: All women together ought to la- let flowers fall on the tomb of Aphra Ben, which is most scandalously, but rather appropriately, in Westminster Abbey. For it was she who earned them the right to speak their minds. It is she, shady and amorous as she was, who makes it not quite fantastic for me to say to you tonight: Earn five hundred a year by your wits."
0: Navi agrees. Navi is because no one all else is home, so she's like, yeah. "I hear you." She's like, <laughs> "But no, okay." What I think is really amazing about that is, especially this, not only her being acknowledged by you know her contemporaries and you know in the '70s and kind of having this you know reawakening. It's like, oh, wit can't beat out mortality. It's like, I think it did, right? I think it did. She came back from the dead. So we could all tell you that you were fucking wrong right. and you suck. I think she won. We are the final clapback. So I do want to throw out too that there is a current, uh, there's an ongoing
1: project by the Canterbury Commemoration Society. If you just Google that, their website comes up. Yes. To raise a statue to a bend to stand in the city and there's currently a vote going on that you can choose which statue you like there's four options oh my god one of them i do not like at all wait wait the wh- other three the are pretty
0: good what's the website so
1: google search canterbury commemoration society and then their website was the first okay yeah any and then you go to like projects or something ongoing works but yeah so I I, I googled it because I was like oh that's cool like and I, I googled it to see like oh maybe maybe they finished it and yeah no there's they have four different artists that have like made I don't know if they've made actual sculptures or if they're just like 3d renderings of the sculptures mm-hmm. and yeah they're all they're all pretty good there's there's one I don't super like but that's just I think my take on art
0: okay okay I'm I'm looking at it right now and I'm gonna vote. I'm going to describe them in vivid... Oh, they're all videos. I don't have time to watch this. No,
1: I I mean, I just looked wait, at the pictures.
0: Wait, wait, Oh, yeah. Yeah, there it is. See the shortlisted A for Ben statue designs and vote. Yeah, there's like four of them. I know which one you don't like. The one that's like abstract.
1: The one of her sitting on the books.
0: Yeah, but it doesn't like... It
1: doesn't really look like a person to me.
0: And I'm it rem- like It kind of reminds me of that, what was it, Mary Wollstonecraft yes! crap, where I'm like, I'm still bothered by that. I'm like, can we not do that again? I just okay. And, and this is my own opinion, and I'm I, you know, the whole point of art is that it can be abstract and be wherever you want. You know, we're constantly redefining it. Right. My, I guess my thing is like, there are these likenesses, like we can recognize these famous figures, even though we've never met them or seen them in anything other than art and women haven't had that opportunity now with the internet, like that's becoming more, you know, you see an illustration of a bunch of women, especially with what we're doing with the podcast, right. we can pick, oh, I that that's Bessie Coleman and that's Ada Lovelace. Exactly. But I just, I feel like these women deserve to be seen yeah. as who they are and who they were. So I don't know.
1: The one I voted for, there's one that's like in a bronze and it's, Is it's her, her holding- and she, she has a, the mask and there's more masks like down by your feet and it's like the drama masks. And I that was my favorite. That was so actually the, the one, one I voted. For. That's
0: actually the one I'm voting for. <laughs> not saying for. everyone
1: else has to go vote for it, but it was my favorite.
0: Everyone needs to go and vote for the one that they like. Yes, though. please
1: do. Yeah, I do like. Once th- again, it was the Canterbury Commemoration Society. I do like the idea
0: of her sitting on the stack of books, but the the figure I'm not. I don't like. like... Yeah. Also the the one the one I'm voting for. She looks very sassy. She looks like come at me, bitches. Right. I, <laughs> yeah. That's why I liked it. Um, yep. Yeah. So Emily.
1: What are you thankful for?
0: I'm thankful that I am voting for this statue. That's definitely going to win because I demand it. Whining about her demands it. Whining about her demands it. Emily. Here, can you say what you're thankful for first? Sure. Because I'm, I'm voting right now. Um, Kelly, I- we fought really hard for the right to vote. Do not <laughs> interrupt me in my rights. You're funny. <laughs>
1: Um, I am thankful for the amazing support that I get at my work. I had a really rough week with a few different things going on work-wise. And it's just everyone's been really supportive and really, like, um, reinforcing. And, you know, I don't work in the easiest line of work. Um, and so, yeah, I've just been really appreciative of that, especially, like, as a student, you know, where there's, like, that extra layer of, Needing to do well so you don't fuck up like your placement and stuff, which wasn't what was happening. But, you know, there's that part like part of me in the back of my mind that panics about it. So, yeah, I'm just really thankful for all the the support and
0: love I feel at work.
1: Aww, I love that. So what do you actually think for? I mean, you're um, you're thankful that you can vote for things, but yes,
0: I'm very thankful that I can vote for things in the middle of recording a Yay. podcast. uh we are truly living well, it's in more the like future. the end of the podcast, hey hey, your pedanticness is not appreciated nor welcomed. Um, I'm thankful I got to uh, visit my fellow's nephew, He's a little baby, and little Kay, he's so cute. And he was he was kind of crabby, but I don't know. I got him to sleep, even though he like was not having it. He was super pissed off, but I got him like to sleep. And I'm like, I you know, I, love I still Snapchats. got it. I still fucking got it. Like I can still fight a baby, <laughs> <laughs> fight
1: a baby to sleep.
0: It's been a, I mean, it's been a while since I've like yeah, taken care. Well, I mean, I guess it's only been like a year since I took care of a baby, but still. Right. You know, I I I enjoy proud of you. I enjoy childcare. Uh I just don't enjoy the fact that I'm not allowed to, you know, make a living off of it because it's very underappreciated. But yeah, no, it was I'm I'm glad that, you know, he got to meet his nephew and be uncle and it was sweet. And we got to help, you know, the parents out a little bit and try and give them a break or at least some adult socialization. um, yeah, no, it was great. I can yeah. say Navi is not thankful that we're in this room where she is not. Navi is devastated. So I think we should wrap this up. Like us on Facebook at whining about herstory, Instagram at w a h pod, Twitter at w a h.
1: Jesus. <laughs> Seriously. Fucking W-A-H- follow h- us on Twitter. <laughs> underscore pod. Our website is <laughs> whiningaboutherstory.com where we can find our merch, a link to our Patreon and all of the other good
0: stuff. And if you don't do it, Navi is going to literally claw through this door and murder us. She's going to find you. Also rate us five stars. It will satiate Navi's bloodlust. And (laughs) uh, yeah, like and subscribe wherever you listen. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Wining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Have an empowered day. Bye. Bye. Navi's going to kill us. She's going to kill
1: us.